Welcome to the Bowers and Wilkins webcast with your hosts, Peter Madueno and Seth Snyder. Welcome to the Bowers and Wilkins podcast. I am Pete. With me, as always, we have Seth. And today we have a special guest, Eric McBride. How are you doing today, Eric? Pretty good, guys. How are you guys doing? Doing well, man. What is new in your neck of the woods up in Boston? Uh, today it's uh, 90 degrees, which is awesome. Uh, and it just got two little kids running around, driving me nuts. But uh, I don't have an office, so I'm basically stuck in my dining room, which a lot of us are like that. But uh, yeah. yeah, other than that, you know, I try to get into the office as much as I can. I'm doing some cool projects in there. Can't really talk about, but uh, some exciting stuff that uh, you guys will all see in the in the future. So what a yeah, tease! Just business as usual. <laughs> That's such a tease right <laughs> off the bat. Yeah. Oh. So Eric, you you are you're an employee of Bowers and Wilkins. What exactly is your title? What is your position? Yeah. And so what do you, what exactly do you do? What would you say you do here? You do here. <laughs> well, Bob. Bob. Um, so, yeah, so I'm North American product and training manager, uh, but I've obviously worked for Bowers and Wilkins now for 20 years. So I wear many hats. Um, won't go into how I got the job because I know, Seth, you at least <laughs> 250,000 times, and I know Pete's probably heard of 100,000. But um, yeah, so, so basically, what, one of the services that I offer. Uh, for whoever's listening to this call, this podcast, is uh, system design. So whether it's a complete new build or a refresh, remodel, uh, if you guys are specking uh, CT, custom theater products, uh, CI-800 products, um, I will work with you, your general contractor, architect, interior designer, husband, wife, whoever, to make sure that room uh, obviously is dimensionally correct if we have the ability to manipulate dimensions, uh, but also make sure that seating is in the correct location, you're choosing the right speakers, and if uh, we have the ability to do acoustics, then we want to make sure that acoustically uh, the room is sound. Um, so uh, one of the things that would happen is if you were to land a job uh, that incorporated one of those series, you would essentially send information to Seth, Pete, or any of the other RSMs uh, and they would uh, then get you in contact with me, and then we would uh, get rocking and rolling on the design side. Nice. And and you designed uh, what? Which rooms in the office did you design? Uh, so I did. So interesting. So the 800 D three room. So those of you that have been to our master's training up in Boston or North Reading, I should say, uh, there is an 800 D three stereo listening room. That is essentially a room within a room. So I uh, basically built that from the ground up, actually uh, kicked the former controller out of her office, which she wasn't too happy about, and then demoed her office and then built a sound room in her office. So that was pretty cool. Uh, so I designed that space, designed a CI-800 theater space, a Nautilus, the Nautilus uh, listening room, designed that as well. And uh, we did a formation room as well, which is more of a kind of a living room, media room atmosphere to really show off the formation products. And then uh, with our big mega theater, I've definitely done some alterations to it, but uh, that was the first original sound room that we had. So it's pretty much dimensionally the same, uh, but obviously we've put a lot more speakers in it and, uh, and a lot more calibration has been put into it. 
Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Every time I go to the office, I ask, "Hey, where's McBride?" He's like, "He's in the ceiling." Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. very cool. So, if if you're in a situation where you're walking in blind into, let's say, a customer's house, a customer's living room, you get a call from us uh, about designing a theater. Mm-hmm. For this example, let's say it's a big 800 D3 uh, theater. Okay. What's what's what are the first things that what are the first questions you ask? What are the first things you look for? How do you start this whole process off? Well, first question would be what, what kind of flexibility do we have uh, specifically with dimensional? Uh, so if, if I'm actually physically walking a space, which typically I'm being consulted beforehand. So I already have either architectural drawings or a napkin drawing or whatever the drawing may be on. Uh, um, or some pictures of the space. You know, I kind of look at the aesthetic. Are we able to manipulate the dimensions? Because nine out of 10 times when you walk in a space, the dimensions are going to be incorrect. Very, very rarely you're going to walk in there and dimensionally, it's going to be what you want it to be. And when I mean dimensionally, you got to remember when you put a, a, a pair of speakers in a room in a, or a subwoofer in a room, uh, they all react differently with standing waves. Standing waves is a work basic, essentially cause acoustic cancellations or cause a reverb or resonances in a space. And that's all bad. That's something you don't want uh, in a sound room, whether it's an M1 system or a full-blown 800 system. So when I'm first walking into a a room uh, that's already, let's say, built, I'll walk in, I'll look at the aesthetic of the space, obviously, first off. But one of the first things that you'll see me do, and if you guys ever walked in a room with me, is I clap. I like to test the flutter echo. Uh, so when you clap, how long does it take for the echo, the reverb of my clap to disappear? Um, ideally, you want to be within a fraction of a second. Uh, now, obviously, that's kind of hard to pick up with, with the human ear, but you can get a pretty, uh, you know, it's pretty obvious when you, when you slap your hands together, you know, how well that room's reacting. And especially if you start moving uh, throughout the space. Um, so a lot of times that I'm doing these rooms, they're existing theater rooms or a media room or a family room. And I'll walk in and I'll sit down where they have the seat and I'll do the clap because obviously that's the primary seating position. Well, how bad is it? Okay, well, if I take a step backwards, does it improve? And a lot of times you'll be surprised on just making subtle subtle movements, just how much better a certain spot sounds than than another. So I think, so the answer, kind of a long-winded answer, sorry, but uh, really what I'm looking at is kind of the dimensions and the aesthetic of the space. And okay, how can, if I can manipulate what this all looks like in terms of dimensionally and physically. Um, like, you know, that's basically what I'm looking at. Like, how, how would I manipulate it? <laughs> that makes sense. I, I can see you clapping your hands and walking around going, whoo, whoo, like that. I'm super excited. I'm super, I'm super excited to get those phone calls from uh, some of the, mar- some of the, co- some people we cover of them I'm clapping the, I'm clapping in the room and I just can't tell what this means. Can you listen? And they're just clapping. Over the- <laughs> <laughs> no, that don't work that way. So when you get into a situation where you can't change the dimensions of the room, obviously this house is there. That's the room you're working with. Yep. Uh, when you say make subtle changes to the room, what exactly are you talking about? Well, I mean, that, that's a great question. I'll get to that in a second, but I think the better question would be what can you do if you can't if you can't manipulate the dimensions uh how can you get the experience for the for the client better without having to invest a ton of money in acoustics so the obvious answer is putting up the treatments right okay trying to absorb some of that echo and reverb uh the next thing would be okay well what about moving speakers 
but the reality is the, the speaker is going to be, you know, within three feet, you know, of, of the front wall, let's say. You're very rarely going to be able to pull it out in, you know, any further than that. Subwoofer is probably going to be corner loaded, even though you don't want to do that technically. Um, but so what I try to do is I try to look at where the seating is going to be. So again, if this is not a dedicated theater uh, and this is a family room or a media room of some case, and they have a sectional or a sofa, I, I, I challenge anybody that's listening to this to just, you know, obviously sit down in that seat, play something you're very uh, accustomed to, even paint noise, you can even tell the difference. Um, but sit down that, that you're used to and you know the track very well and just move your head frontwards, forward, side to side. What kind of experience? How does it change? Because a lot of times I've been, I've gone to these media rooms to do calibrations and I'll be sitting there and I'll measure it. And then on the frequency response, I'll see these cancellations in the low frequency. And the customer's main complaint is I have no bottom end. Well, then all of a sudden I move the microphone back 12 inches and boom, what do I do? I get 10 dB more in that, you know, you know, 60 to 100 hertz range. And it's like, oh, wow. So what I'll end up doing is actually moving the chair back. And then the look on their, their faces when they come back and see that I've moved their seat it's it's pretty it's pretty funny because a lot of them will be like my my, my wife's never gonna let me do that <laughs> one of those things right and it's like just do me a favor sit here and now listen to it and he'll and they'll listen to it and they'll be like oh my goodness like wow there's tons of slam what'd you do like how'd you calibrate I'm like I didn't even touch the calibration yet all I did was just move your seat he's like do you think we can move this back ten to twelve inches and you think or four ten to twelve inches we can we can reposition the rug who knows maybe she'll never even notice right. So it's, it's, it's funny, right? It's little things like that. Seating, you know, fundamentally seating is one of the most important thing. You know, the, the size of the room really dictates how much, how much seats you can use, specifically, especially in the theater application where you can have multiple rows. But in a family room and media room, typically you have that one row of seats, right? And that guy, the homeowner is sitting smack dab in the center, right? So at the end of the day, you want to make sure that he is in the proper seating location. Then from there... You can kind of tailor, you can say, okay, well, you know, maybe we can add some acoustic curtains over here if it's a highly reverberant space. Or, hey, you know, they make really cool, there's companies out there that make really nice looking diffusers that almost look like a piece of art. Uh, or you can get prints now on acoustic panels, you know, maybe we can get your family out of print, an acoustic panel, put it up over here, right? Um, so there's all little things that you can do before you have to even get into equalization, right? And that's a whole nother ballgame. But there's all little subtle things like that that you can do. You can play with positioning of speakers. But again, the reality is when you move a speaker, you know, two or three uh, inches or, or let's call it even a foot, uh, the low frequency is pretty much going to stay the same. Uh, your high frequency in the sound stage and the imaging, that will all change, obviously. I mean, you can spend hours on dialing that stuff in. But in terms of the low frequency, we're dealing with such long standing waves. You know, an 80 hertz tone is 14 feet. So think about that, 14 feet, you know what I mean? To, 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 to move the speaker, you have to really move it considerably in order to get that to change in the space. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. Um, you met, Now, you mentioned uh, the EQ being a whole different ball game. Uh, there is quite a bit of uh, technology out there that, you know, we'll call it, we'll go bottom of the barrel. We'll say built-in EQ technology, room correction technology. Sure. What can you... What are some of the things that you do that allow your systems when you built them to just beat the snot out of those self-tuning systems that are built into AVR and processors? 
How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, can't, I made it real broad, but no, I'm could, just kidding. I'm kidding. So, so before, yeah. So before I get into what I do, let's, if it's okay, let's just back up and talk about audio, auto equalization. Please. So, yeah. So it's not all bad, right? First and foremost, it's not all bad. Some is good. Some, some are good. Some are not so good. Uh, what I find is, you know, the perception is, you know, when people bring out that little mic and they hit play and they, and they hear all the funky sounds going on, they sit down and listen to it and, wow, it sounds different. Well, different doesn't always mean it sounds better, <laughs> right? That's very, right? At the end of the day, the best measuring tool that you guys all have, all of us, is our ears, right? We, we know what stuff should sound like because we've been in $100,000 rooms before, right? We know what the recordings can sound like. Um, so with auto, auto equalization, again, some are good, some not so good. What I find the ones that are on the better side are ones that allow you to uh, do some manipulation to it. So some manual uh, corrections. What I mean by that is there's some out there that allow you to, to adjust the target curve, which is the target frequency curve that we're looking for in, in any given space. Uh, some of it even allow you to just even adjust a little bit of the EQs. Uh, obviously, we're not going to get into, into manufacturers right now. But, you know, I, I, if you're going to go with something that has auto equalization, I would try to lean towards something that allows you to make manual uh, adjustments as well on top of the auto equalization. And the last thing about auto EQ I'll say is that when you do it, if you like feel like, oh, yeah, this is great. I, I think it sounds good. Just do yourself a favor. I think 99% of them allow you to go back and look at what it did, like how, what kind of adjustments it made. Just double check everything because too often enough I've been in rooms uh, where, you know, there's two subs, both corner loaded and one, the both 20 feet from the primary listening position where the microphone is. One says 25 feet. The other one says 10 feet. Well, what the uh, happened, right? You know, you know, it happens often. <laughs> yeah, right. So obviously you can imagine there's a big phase switch there. So a lot of things acoustically are going to happen. So not, not, not very good. Um, so, so that's auto equalization where I love, where I live. Uh, is manual equalization, like full-blown manual. So full-blown parametric equalization. So essentially that involves setting up a, a number of mics, um, uh, depending on the size of the space and how big the, the listening area is, uh, launching an RTA, which is a real-time analyzer, which with pink noise and doing speaker by speaker, looking at the frequency response in multiple locations in that space and seeing how it's reacted. And then making adjustments by building uh, precise digital audio filters within the processor's DSP and to localize on those specific peaks and then to attenuate them down. So uh, another thing that auto EQs do is they try to boost acoustic cancellations. No matter how much you gain you put into it, you can't correct the cancellation. So when I do it manually, if I see a cancellation in a response, I try to make adjustments with the seat, like I told you, uh, or I try to do things with phase, like on the subwoofers. Uh, and as you get more into the crazy, uh, really cool, really flexible processes out there, they allow you to do all kinds of things with delays and phasing and within the base management. So I try to fix it anywhere else before equalization first. Uh, so, the, so the idea is basically just to get, you know, a consistent, uh, what I like to call a waterfall plot from 20 hertz, which is low frequency, to 20K, which is the high frequency. So starting at, you know, 20 hertz, uh, going down to about 160, 160 hertz, which is still low frequency, like mid-bass kind of, uh, per one-third octave band, sorry, I'm getting geeky, but per one-third octave band, probably about one to two dB downwards. And then as we get to uh, mid-range, we flatten out, 
And then as you get to the high frequency, high frequency in terms of calibration, typically it all depends on wh what type of room it is. How is it bright or is it dead? If it's dead, then I'll let the high frequency kind of roll upwards to get a little bit of that sizzle back. But if the room is overly bright, like a, let's say a media room with, with a big open concept with, with glass, uh, what I'll do is I'll actually tailor the high frequency down a little bit to kind of just take a little bit of that edge off. Make that sense? Make, yeah, that, that makes sense. And you, you touched on a couple things there uh, that you've showed that you showed me over the years. Actually, it was a nice thing. I was able to solve a pretty uh, wicked, I'll call it 60 hertz suck out by playing around with my phasing on my subwoofer. Right. It's a nice thing. Our, our subwoofers have, I think, four points of um, positions where you can put where you can set that phase. Yeah. Um, and you helped me solve uh, a pretty wicked uh, lack of, I think it was around 60 hertz, uh, using that phase without have, necessarily having to move my seat because uh, there's a wall behind my seat. I'm not going yeah. that far back. <laughs> um, yeah, that, and that was that was very helpful. And that waterfall plot was uh, the, the other thing you, you mentioned. That whole idea, I think there's a big buzzword in our industry. It was like, you like a flat sound. No, you don't. No one likes a flat sound. You always like a little bit more beef in that bottom end and being able to bring that down and still have it sound natural. Uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, uh, you know, if I can just touch on that for a second, you know, the human auditory canal can, can't perceive low frequency as easy as it can mid frequency in kind of the, the lower register of high frequency, high frequencies. So, you know, people look at the flat response and, you know, and you know on a, on a speaker's spec spec sheet and it's like yeah that's a flat response in an anechoic chamber yeah that you do want that because there's no reflections but the reality is, is if you if you calibrated your system completely flat um the, the system would sound well, thin very thin it would have just have no dynamic range to it whatsoever so more to your points up yeah it's it's more about just boosting that low frequency everybody likes to do a little bass anyways right everyone loves bass so <laughs> so yeah it's definitely you want to have a little bit more impact just adds to the whole specific, but you know, cinema, the whole theatrical experience, obviously having more bottom end. No, that's awesome. Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Um, Pete, what else do you have for Mr. Eric McBride? Uh, not too much. Um, I do have a few questions for you, more of just like personal, uh, personal preference type okay. style questions. So if you were, if you were debating between building a theater and using 800 D3s or CT 800s, which one would you go with? And <laughs> Very why? common question. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, to be honest with you, mo mo <sighs> I, I'm a big CT guy. You, you yeah, guys you remember? Yeah, yeah. My, my, well, here, yeah, obviously, right? I mean, it's it's been my bread and butter for 15 years ish. Um, a little bit of a backstory, you know. I was approached by a gentleman named Greg Williams, who uh, unfortunately is no longer with us, but he basically, you know, rate probably about a year before CT was going to be launched, uh, he asked me straight up, he goes, hey, are you happy, you know, doing support and doing all that? Or would you like to kind of dive into something new? And I said, I'd love to dive into something or what you have in mind. And he goes, how would you like to learn more about acoustics and how speakers behave in any given space and sound propagation, all that good stuff? I'm like, I'm fascinated by it. Let's do it. And that's what he proceeded to tell me about CT. Uh, and that's when I proceeded to start taking classes and starting to learn more just about acoustics. And one of the things I love about CT that a lot of people don't know is that, no lie, the original name for CT-800 was Home Theater for Men, right? <laughs> and, yeah. and if you remember the guy that used to own the company, that it probably came from him. 
but uh, <laughs> so so uh, but they, we all quickly, especially the marketing department, quickly realized that that probably wasn't a good thing to name it. That wasn't a good name for the system. Wimps. So, <laughs> so they decided to change it to CT eight hundred, and um, when it was launched, uh, I did three systems with two of the engineers that actually developed it uh, in Salt Lake City. So they had, we had three clients. Uh, that I, and I did them all in within a month. I think I spent a month out there, and uh, I just I'll never forget that 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 first time where I like literally like my it wasn't my pant leg my pants uh, like vibrating. It was like my body, like my internals were vibrating. Like the impact from the system, just I just I couldn't. I just could. I think it was Master and Commander that we played, right? Which was everybody's heard yeah, a million that times. That'll do it. Yeah, and it's just like I was just blown away by it. And still to this day, and the speaker's pretty old when you think about it. Um, but it still holds up. It's still, in my eyes, in terms of musicality and overall theater dynamics, uh, it, it's the best theater package on the market. And it's relatively reasonably priced if you look at some of these other systems that go for two, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars. You know, you can get a CT eight hundred system, a, a really nice one for one hundred and twenty five, one hundred and fifty, and that includes amplification as well. So, so to answer your question, sorry, Pete, I'm kind of going a little lengthy here, but that's um, CT just always has had a special kind of place in my heart. Um, I just I've always just appreciated its sheer uh, robustness. It's just how mean it is. Uh, I think it looks awesome even though it was dumbed down, you know, to, to be hidden behind a wall. Uh, it's just, it's just a nasty, nasty speaker. And I love it. Yeah. No, that's one of those things that uh, I've noticed over the years. Cause I, I love 800s and I love Nautilus. Well, me but too. There is a, um, there's something about that CT system, just that sheer power, that rah, that yeah. you get out of a, out of the, out of the systems. I, I've never heard another system do it. And mm-hmm. I've sat probably with you actually in those other systems that, that cost more. And I remember looking at you being like, there's there, we can do that, now, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then play that says same cuts on our systems back at the office and they just floor you. So I know yeah. well, one, of the, one of the coolest things real quick, again, I think the big takeaway here for anybody that comes up to the master's training that we have in Boston is, is the ability of that system to play, um, you know, the beginning of I am legend with all the detail and resolution uh, uh, you know, uh, the Adele cuts, which everybody can't stand now, but it still sound good. The Jenny Lynn's <laughs> right from Greatest Showman, right? But also be able to play Master Commander, be able to play um, uh, Metallica, you know, for, you know, it's it's just in the, to do everything in between effortlessly, right? And, and at the end of it, you, there's no fatigue. There's no listener fatigue. You just, it just leaves you wanting more. And that's what I love about the system. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I've I've seen Metallica on your system, and I've seen Metallica live many times, and my ears ring after seeing them live. They don't they don't ring on your system, but there's not a huge disparity in overall output. So, oh, way to go, yeah. magician! <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> you know, you know, you know. He needs he needs a cut of uh. <laughs> Never. No, I'm just kidding. We, we had an early concert, Dave just, Matthew. Is that Tim? Is that the Tim Reynolds oh, one? Is that the one? No, Pete went to a Dave Matthew band. Uh, no, just Dave I, Matthew. oh, okay. He was okay. like, he didn't understand why the songs were 47 minutes long. But it's a three-minute song. <laughs> it was, you know, he didn't understand the concept of a jam band. It was his first yeah. concert. <laughs> Everybody has yeah, a song. I, lo- I lost. It, <laughs> 
Yeah, I lost. I lost it. So it was. It was. It's a. It was a funny story that we talked about the other day. Um, but yeah. So uh, actually, the answer I was looking for was both. You just get both. No compromise, as they're placed to say. Right. So you get you get both the A players and the CTAs. (laughs) Well, Um, listen. Yeah, there's nothing. Nothing against the. If I'm if I'm building a uh, you know a a room for music, and again, the 800 D threes. The thing they they can do theater all day. Absolutely, 100. percent I've done. I've done tons of them. I just, you know, CT for me has just always been, it's just, it's on another level. There's a reason why we engineered it the way we did. And it was just to, to get upwards of 110, 115, 120 dB, right? Yeah, and that is a, that is a good point. And not to, you know, not to back Pete up too much because he's a nut, but the, it's not the worst idea in the world to have both, depending on what your application is. If you have a dedicated stereo listening room, it's really tough to beat 800s where you're going to be listening to at moderate volumes, but you know, gunshots on a on a on a soundtrack should sound like real gunshots. And the only way to do that is they have the output that's going to hit those 110, 115, 120 dB peaks. So right. your application is make it sound like there's a war in your living room. CT is probably a better application. For that <laughs> that makes sense. So. Uh, so so not to take up too much more time. Uh, one of the final questions I have for you is more uh, again, more of an opinion question. So with you know, all Atmos and all, and then just adding, you know, multiple speakers and, you know, 32 discrete channels and a Blu-ray. What are your, what are your thoughts on like how, how much is too much or is it all no, more than that? Absolutely. I, I, you know, I, it's funny. I, again, I get this question a lot. And, and the last thing I want to do is tell people not to spend more, you know, not to sell more speakers, but the only thing I could tell you, you know, it, it really, the room size dictates how many speakers and how many seats, how many rows of seating dictates how many speakers. So it's multiple rows of seating. You know, you're typically doing seven channels. Um, if it's a singular row, five channels. You know, I'm just talking just 5.1 for now. Um, but again, it's a single row, sorry, 5.1.2. So you do two heights for like a singular row. Uh, for multiple rows, you're looking at four heights, seven channels, and then if you're doing even more than two rows, then now you're, you're getting into the realm of, you know, possibly doing nine uh, surround channels and possibly four to six uh, height channels. Uh, subwoofers, uh, uh, there is, you know, two ideally, again, for, for a theater context, um, but um, four is, is the best. I mean, if you can have a spec four, and I know that's tough for people, especially in family rooms and media rooms, it's almost impossible. Uh, but, you know, if you can get two in a family room, a media room, that, that's, that, that would be ideal. But if you have to do one, then you have to do one. Um, but, yeah, if you do too much, uh, then it just becomes just a big mess, I think, I feel. Because uh, sometimes, you know, even though you don't want that exit door effect, which is the ability to sometimes hear exactly where things are coming from, sometimes the engineers actually put that stuff in there in the, in the soundtrack. So you have to kind of localize things. And I feel if there's too many things, too many speakers in the way, you don't get that kind of discrete information. I hope that makes sense. Does that kind of make sense? No, it does. Okay. Especially with the subwoofers, the more having four subwoofers allows you to get rid of all those phase issues that you were you talked about earlier. Right. Yeah. And, and what, one thing too is you know with so if you're doing a system and let's say you wanted to do eleven speakers, but the clients you know or you just realize you know what it's just it's not big enough to do eleven. Well, do seven, but you know what? Upgrade them. Right. If you want to recoup some of that, some of that money on those other four speakers, instead of going 
with a CI6, go to a CI7. Instead of going with CI7, go with CI8. You know what I mean? There's ways of, of, of getting that, that revenue back. Uh, but at the end of the day, you want the experience to be right, right? That's what you're doing, you know, because he's going to, whoever you do these kinds of systems for, uh, they're going to have friends over, right? And they're going to love it. And they're just going to, you know, the more people that come over and have a better experience, the more referrals you're going to get and the more money everybody's going to make. Yeah. That's what we're all in it for, right? That that yeah. love of audio and some money. <laughs> um, you did you did mention something, and I I just want to touch on this a little bit. So basically, to sum up real quickly, you would say there's a certain point. So let's call it seven channels that you would buy that you would go not above seven channels, mm-hmm. but better quality speaker. But on subs, would you say the more with less quality is better than one with better quality? So let's let's say for instance you had like a five thousand yeah. dollar budget for subs. Would you get one really nice one, two real decent ones, or four? So solid ones? On, for me, if I'm if it's a theater space, I would do four solid ones because you know the one really good one, yeah, it's going to deliver maybe a little bit more output overall output, I should say. But you're going to sacrifice so much because you can only put one in one location. So there's going to be tons of acoustical, uh, potential acoustical issues within your space, unless you build literally a room within a room and have tons of uh, fluffy stuff in there and diffuses everywhere. I mean, even then, I still think you're going to have some issues. Uh, But the more you can space out the sub, the LFE, the better, the the less stress you have to put on the subs, right? And, And the better overall coverage and more consistency you're going to have in that low frequency range. So that's a great question. I personally, because a lot of guys will say, hey, I'm specking two CTSW 15s, right? Like, uh, and I'll be like, okay, like, well, instead of doing that, can we do four 12s? You know, uh, and they'll be like, uh, da, 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 da. yeah, we can actually. Okay, perfect. Let's do four 12s. I'd rather do four 12s. And let's put four 12s, you know, in the corners. But a lot of times you can't do four. So in that case, then I want the two 15s because I want as much output coming from the front as possible. Cool. Gotcha. Yeah, that's that. That's exactly <laughs> what I want as an answer. More like me personally, I'm I'm yeah. I'm a more more is better in, in especially when it comes to bass and and subs. So that's that I'm that's what I've been preaching, and now I feel <laughs> like I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> well, that's that's all I have for you. I don't want to take up too much more time of yours, uh, Eric. I really appreciate you you coming on. This was a- absolutely fantastic. Um, Cool. Huge fan of yours as always. So we'll, we'll have to have you back on. But thank you again. Um, thank you again for listening to the Bowers and Wilkins podcast. I'm Thanks, Pete. guys. This is Seth. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. <laughs>